pandemonium. It is pandemonium. It is pandemonium. It is fantastic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Overtime Podcast, a cold front report multicast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Clayton Garrett. You can find me on Twitter at CFRCLAYTON, and joining me as always. I'm Jeff Uvino. You can find me on Twitter at RealJUVEINO. Man, that that was it was one good game this past weekend from the Bills. A very well-rounded performance, I felt, on both sides of the ball. Overall, Jeff, what are your thoughts coming out of this game where the Bills found their fourth win of the season against the Raiders? Another 30-point performance by the Bills offense. That's a story. It's their third 30-point game out of four this year. The only team that the Bills haven't hung 30 points on was the Jets. So it was a great offensive showing, and the defense made plays when it had to. Those were the real real story of the game on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And – Really, I, I was quite impressed with the defensive performance in the second half. But first things first, let's talk about the performance of the Bills quarterback, Josh Allen. You know, he, he didn't hit the 300-yard mark this week, but 300 yards doesn't always always doesn't always equal a win. And the Bills escaped Vegas with their fourth victory of the year. And Josh Allen had another stellar performance, over 70% completion percentage again. And, I mean, hey, Josh Allen keeps up the pace of looking efficient, taking chances down the field. He, he looks like an overall great quarterback, and, I mean, he sustained it for a, a month into the season. I'm, I'm quite impressed thus far. Yeah, Allen made some really great throws on Sunday. Throws that had to be perfect just to get to the receiver, and even then the receiver had to make a play on the ball. Um, you know, the second quarter touchdown pass to Cole Beasley comes to mind. Um, the long ball to Diggs where he mossed the defensive back comes to mind. And then, I mean, the throw to John Brown down to the goal line that could have been a touchdown that might be the best throw Josh Allen has ever made in his NFL career. It really might be. I texted you that after the throw, just pinpoint accuracy, the ball right where it has to be. Um, there are a lot of instances where I thought that the Oakland secondary did a good job of seemingly keeping Buffalo receivers covered, but Allen just beat them with his arm. That throw, that, that throw was some next level stuff. And I, I was equally impressed by that throw as everybody was. It should have been a touchdown. Don't get me wrong. That that definitely should have been a Bills touchdown. But it doesn't matter because, the I mean, Josh Allen ran a quarterback sneak on the next play, and it was a touchdown. But that throw, that throw. I mean, first of all, it was a great it was a great play all around. John Brown was draped by two defenders. I, I, I mean, I, ne- I wouldn't necessarily say draped, but there was two defenders directly on his back, right behind him. And Josh Allen finds a way to needle it in there. To, that's an incredibly difficult throw. How many, if I were to ask you this, how many quarterbacks in the league do you think can make that throw? Five or less. I mean, Aaron Rodgers comes to mind. Mahomes comes to mind. Drew Brees comes to mind, but you're right. How many people are making that throw consistently too? Now that's something that we'll see in the upcoming weeks of whether Allen can make those kind of throws consistently. But I mean, if he is, then it's really going to be an uphill climb for NFL defenses the rest of the way. My goodness. My goodness. Honestly, if I were to say, I think there's probably only three dudes in the league that can make that throw. And it's Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers. And speaking of which, those three quarterbacks in the same conversation, you could throw Russell Wilson in that mix as well, because really what I'm getting at is the MVP conversation. You love having it. 
oh, of course I love having it because it's relevant. You know, Josh Allen has looked stellar this season. Absolutely stellar. We're talking about Josh Allen having an MVP caliber season. And he's get, you know, it's different coming out of the first game, the second game, the third game. He has kept this up for a whole quarter of his third NFL season. Don't get me wrong. A whole quarter of the first uh, of the season is just a quarter. He needs to sustain this play. I wouldn't necessarily say to the level that he is right now, because it's just frankly unsustainable play. He's on pace to throw for 5,500 yards right now, guys. That that's surreal. And honestly, the pace that he's on, I really would not be surprised if Josh Allen is one of the three, if not two finalists to win the league MVP this year. Every time you hear conversations, whether it's on television, on radio, wherever, it's your usual suspects. It's Patrick Mahomes, it's Russell Wilson, it's Aaron Rodgers, and then it's Josh Allen. It's Josh Allen in the same conversation as all of those guys. And, you know, forget the fact that he's in a Bills uniform and that's a new concept over, you know, the last two decades plus of a Bills quarterback being in conversation with the top guys in the league. But he's taken the league by storm and he's doing it. Now, it's not out of nowhere for us. It's certainly not out of nowhere for you who said coming into the year that he was going to be an NFL MVP candidate, but it's out of nowhere for a lot of people who follow the league that Buffalo probably isn't on their radar as much, and for a good reason, because obviously the Bills have been bad for so long, but Allen has just kind of taken the league by storm, and he's made the identity of the Bills offense so far a passing offense that just throws the ball all over you, and it couldn't be that without Allen being as good as he has been so far this year. Oh, wow. Mike was off there for a second. Pardon me. But so far this year, taking the league by storm, it's surprising to a lot of people. I've been talking amongst a lot of people throughout, throughout different, different social media platforms and whatnot. And really I I'm kind of, there's a lot of optimism for Josh Allen, but there's still that underneath feeling for Bills fans. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's there as much for me anymore after watching it for four games, but I'm almost positive that this feeling lies within Bills fans, I mean, almost consensusly, because I've had a few conversations, and really what I'm getting at is with one individual I was on the phone with, he was talking about, I don't I don't understand how people are expecting Josh Allen to have some sort of plummet, how how people are expecting Josh Allen to fall off of this pace that he's currently on and not be able to sustain. I mean, quite frankly, what he's doing right now is unsustainable, but what I'm getting at is the high caliber football play, the high cat, the efficient quarterback. That's also taking chances. That's also not afraid to throw it into coverage and give his receivers a chance on the football, that kind of play. A lot of people are expecting a fall off, a drop off, something along those lines. And this individual, he was confused as to why people feel that way. And quite frankly, Jeff, I feel like you and I are two individuals that that know that feeling more than anybody because you and I have really never, ever seen this kind of quarterback play for this long of duration in our entire lives, whether it's Drew Bledsoe, whether it was Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jeff Toole, Thad Lewis, Tyrod Taylor, what have you, EJ Manuel, all of them. We have never, throughout my 20 years and your 21, we have never seen a quarterback play to this kind of level. I mean, I, I you could argue just one game where some where a Bills quarterback looks like a league MVP. We've never seen that on one occasion, and now we have seen it throughout the whole first month of the season. It, it, it takes you back a little bit. 
it's all, I, I know I stated that this was almost partially my expectation going into the season. I wouldn't say it was an expectation. It was more so of a prediction. But even though I predicted it, even though I partially almost expected it, it's still, it's still a tad surprising to me because looking at his play right now, talking about the pace that he's on, there's things where, that, that coincide with Josh Allen being a quote-unquote MVP candidate that I quite frankly didn't expect. I didn't expect this guy to score 15 total touchdowns in four weeks. And, and might I mind you, that's the second most total in a four-week span. That's the second highest total in a four-week span by a quarterback ever. And the only two players to ever have more was Peyton Manning in 2013, and he was the MVP that year, and Russell Wilson this season, who was also in the MVP conversation with Josh Allen. I don't think I expected that. And I sure as hell didn't expect him to be completing 71% of his passes. That is an incredible number to me. You talk about the growth. Just look at the completion percentage. I know the completion percentage is something that Bills fans almost shied away from. because, But, but now you can almost embrace that conversation. Who, where's, where are people talking about Josh Allen's completion percentage now? Where are the people saying that he can't look off defenders and look off defenses and safeties in the NFL now? Because, quite frankly, we've seen him complete a high clip of his passes, 71% through four weeks of the season. That's amazing. And we're also seeing him look off defenders and just make plays with his eyes. And really, he has just developed into one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL going from 2019 to 2020. And it's not just the big plays that Allen has made this year. It's also the lack of mistakes. A lot of quarterbacks make big plays, but they also make mistakes at the same time. Allen's only thrown one interception this year. And as you and I both know, it has an asterisk next to it. He has not made a lot of bad throws. He's not put the ball into precarious situations with the other team. And He's just really producing at such an efficient clip. I think that that's a word that you can use to describe Allen, how he's played so far this year, is efficient. Um, I mean, his quarterback rating is through the roof, especially uh, when he's throwing the ball down the field. And it's really encouraging to me to see the the big plays mixed with the lack of mistakes because he can throw the ball around the field all he wants, but if he's throwing interceptions and turning the ball over, then he's Jameis Winston. But he's been so much more than that because he hasn't turned the ball over. We all know about the fumbling problem he's had over the last few years. Um, that's been kept in check, I think, enough so far this year. But until he starts making mistakes, I mean, wh where is his ceiling? It's so high if he's gonna if he's gonna continue playing like this. And I've said this on other episodes. I really don't feel like we've even grazed the surface of Josh Allen's potential right now, because, you know, coming into the league, the, the whole story about Josh Allen was, you know, the sky's the limit with Josh Allen due to his character and just the traits that he has as a quarterback coming out of college. That was always the story, but it was always considered almost improbable and borderline impossible for Josh Allen to fix the set issues that he had coming out of a small college in Wyoming. But lo and behold, he comes in the league, and yes, we saw the issues throughout the first two seasons of his career, but he has just taken a massive leap this season. And, you know, I, I I don't even hate using the word efficiency because I feel like that word gets tied along with game-managing quarterbacks. You can apply that word right now to Baker Mayfield, who has been reduced to being a game-managing manager, game managing quarterback as he's simply just turned around and handed it off to his two talented running backs. Nick Chubb went down this week, but throughout the duration of the first month of the season, that's really what what Baker, Maker, excuse me, Baker Mayfield's job has been. That's all they're asking of him. And, you know, when you, when you tie the word efficient to a quarterback, you think of players like Alex Smith, Derek Carr, 
Jared Goff, Ryan Tannehill, if you will, players in that realm. But the fact that he is efficient while also staying, keeping that that mold of a gunslinger, that's incredible to me. Because more times than not, you see quarterbacks that that have the guts to throw the passes that Josh Allen throws, that have that have this arm strength to, to let it fly downfield, but they don't have the confidence to throw those sorts of passes. They don't have necessarily the talent that Josh Allen has to while while also remaining efficient, also being a playmaker for the Bills offense, and that he has been. He is the Bills' best playmaker on the Bills uh, on the offense by far. So, and, and really, the one the most impressive aspect of his efficiency through these last couple of games is he's really done it without running the football. We really haven't seen Josh Allen run on design runs. I don't think we've seen a, a design run really since the the, the, the Rams game at down near the goal line. And we haven't seen Josh Allen willingly or not. I wouldn't say willingly, but we haven't really seen him t- talking and run at all. We we've been seeing Josh Allen stand in the pocket and pick these defenses apart. He looks surgical standing in the pocket and you combine that with his arm strength and the mobility as I, as I just touched on, man, the sky is the limit. And I think that's the story for Josh Allen's season. And that's quite frankly, why I feel like at the end of the season, he's going to be the MVP or he's going to be the runner up. And when I use the term efficient, I did not mean any of the quarterbacks that you listed after. I mean, the difference, like you said, the difference between a Tannehill or a Baker Mayfield or a Derek Carr and Josh Allen is just his pure playmaking ability. He's efficient while making big plays, and that's rare in NFL quarterbacks because a lot of times in the, in this league, if you're going to take those chances, you're going to make mistakes. And so that's why it stands out so much more when you don't, when you're not throwing an interception every game, when you're not turning the ball over, you're not making those throws that should be picked but aren't. That really hasn't happened the last couple of weeks with Allen and really all season. I mean, I think we can count on one hand, maybe even, the amount of throws Allen has made where we cringe because – that's happened a lot over the last two years. I mean, he's got that big playmaking ability, but then he'll throw a ball and he'll go, mm, definitely should not have thrown that even though he got away with that. That hasn't been happening as much this year, and that's huge. And I think that that is what has kind of catapulted him into the next level and into you know getting into his true potential because the running ability has always been there. The escapability has always been there. The big arm has obviously always been there, but now he's making smart decisions with the football, and that is what has catapulted Josh Allen into the MVP conversation. Now, I will say the one – but before we move on to the other facets of the Bills offense because it was an overall good day for this Bills offense, and I – I'll get into Brian Dable and his play calling in a minute. And I think a lot of people are going to be a little surprised with what I have to say, but the one blemish on this game, in my opinion, for Josh Allen was that sack that he took after the bills had gotten a second turnover. I believe it was after the Quentin Jefferson forced fumble where Josh Allen, you know, the the bills offense comes onto the field and Josh Allen took a 14 yard sack that knocked him out of field goal range that, I mean, he, he harped on himself in the post-game presser, as he should. That's just not a smart play by a quarterback. He needs to have more, better field awareness and obviously throw that ball away. But that that's just the kind of football player Josh Allen is. I think there's always that little bit of hero ball that he has in him. I feel like that aspect to his game, I, I don't think that that's going to necessarily be eliminated entirely, simply due to the fact that Josh Allen, he's always looking to make a play. He's always looking to make a play. Every single play that you see him out there running and run around in the backfield, you would think that it's the last play that this dude would ever play football. And that's admirable while also it, it gets him in trouble. But at the same time, I feel like that aspect of Josh Allen's game is what will ultimately make him one of the great quarterbacks. 
Yeah, that was a really bad play taking that sack. However, when he's out in space, when he escapes the pocket, more times than not, he makes things happen. So if you're gonna, if we're gonna get one of those every now and then, you know, it's not like the game was on the line. It would have been great to kick a field goal, field goal there, obviously, but he took the sack. Um, not ideal. Um, but you're gonna get that sometimes. And if that is the biggest mistake that he's making, please give me that every single week of him taking that sack on the edge of field goal range is the biggest mistake he's gonna make. Now. I saw Devin Singletary getting involved in this game rather early, earlier than we've seen the Bills try and establish their rushing attack. And that was really the first bright spot that I noticed throughout the duration of the game this, this past Sunday is they were getting the young running back in sync, getting him into a rhythm. And really in that first half, we saw Devin Singletary used to efficiency. And I was quite impressed with Devin Singletary. I feel like he's really a playmaker on this offense. And despite and really with them more so turning to a spread look because they, they have been a 65-35 pass-to-run team throughout the first month of the season. I feel like that's just what this Bills offense is. That's the If you're going to say the identity of the Bills offense, they're a vertical passing team. They have four four young wide receivers, excuse me, they have four wide receivers that they could send out there and four wide spreads or four wide sets. And they also have Dawson Knox. They have They have weapons up the wazoo with this football team. And that is definitely a pleasant sight to see, especially when I see a player like Cole Beasley making a backflipping catch to make a touchdown. And then later in the game, you see Zay Jones not even lay out for a pass that was barely beyond his fingertips. I think that right there, I know I'm kind of getting off topic right here, but I feel like that those two plays, that's the embodiment of why you saw Zay Jones get shipped out of Buffalo. Yeah, the running game wasn't all there for the Bills on Sunday. They had 62 rushing yards as a team. 2.6 yards per rush, not ideal, obviously, um, but they didn't need it. And that's the thing. If you're going to score 30 points a game running for 60 yards, then don't stray away from your pass offense because obviously you're doing something right with it. Um, so you, we talk every week how we want the Bills to be multidimensional in their offense, and for good reason because it makes you so much more potent and so much more deadly. But if you're scoring 30 points a game, like I said, with throwing the ball 65% of the time, keep doing it until it doesn't work. Right. And I feel like that average, that kind of gotten taken down there by the by the by the last three possessions the Bills had in this game where you saw Devin Singletary not even getting a yard, where they, they were really just selling out to stop the run as the Bills were trying to run the clock down. And mm -hmm. I I I wasn't really a huge fan of those series to come, come towards the later at later stages of the game. But the bills were up at two by two possessions at that point. And the defense had had a spark and they were playing they were playing their asses off in the second half. The defense was, but Stefan Diggs, Stefan Diggs on that 49 yard pass connection from Allen to Stefan Diggs, where he just chucked it up. And let's talk about that play call for a second. Josh Norman had just forced that fumble and recovered it. And I'll talk about the bills defense in a moment, but that that play right there, two plays later, the Bills are at third and one situation. And I I don't I, I don't think Brian Dable makes that play call last year. I don't think if he does that that play call is completed and executed. I wouldn't necessarily say it was executed properly, but it was a 49-yard completion. You can say it was executed. If Josh Allen put a little more air under that pass and led, led Stephon Diggs in the end zone, without a doubt, that's a touchdown. But regardless, it was a 49-yard completion, and it was one hell of a play from Stefan Diggs. You see him jump up and moss a safety like that and get up and flex right in the face of that player. That attitude, my goodness, I cannot preach enough about 
the kind of mentality that Stefan Diggs has embedded into this Bills offense since, since, since he's since he was acquired and since the Bills have plugged him in. I mean, this this guy has put up to 100 yards in two of his first four games in a Bills uniform, and that's without OTAs. That's without training camp. That's without any preseason to get to for these for this quarterback and wide receiver to get acclimated with one another. And I feel like that aspect of it isn't talked about enough. I feel like the fact that Stephon Diggs was plugged into this offense practically seamlessly and Josh Allen is executing, Stephon Diggs is executing. I feel like that part of it, people don't talk about that enough because that is a huge aspect when you talk about players moving from one team to another, getting acclimated with an offense, getting acclimated with a new quarterback. And I think it just it, it speaks volumes to Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs as not only teammates but leaders to take the accountability and responsibility because without a doubt they would not be on they would not be on the same page like this if they didn't put that work into the offseason that nobody saw. And what a great asset that is for Allen to have a receiver who you can chuck that ball down the field in a one-on-one coverage and trust that he's going to be able to go up and get that. It's just absolutely invaluable on top of all of the other things that Brandon Bean has built up for this team. You got your number one receiver that you can throw that ball to. I mean, I mean, can you name a Bills receiver in the past you could throw that ball to? I mean, Sammy Watkins, I guess, comes to mind. But Diggs has just been so trust, trust, so trustworthy this year, just so electric in his ability to always come down with the football. And him and Allen have built up so much trust in such a short amount of time. I mean, when Allen throws that ball in the air, as with every deep ball they throw in the season, Bills fans just hold their breath. I've said that before on the show. It's just a collectively kind of you're on the edge of your seat a little bit. You stand up while the ball's in the air. And that's because you've got Stefan Diggs running down the field, one of the NFL's elite receiver that can go up and get that ball. Um, and just it, it's become a weekly thing at this point. Yeah. And before before we move on to the defense, that Bills the offensive line. My goodness. You saw – Brian Winters get pulled out of the game due to an injury, and you saw Quentin Spain get inserted back in the lineup, but at right guard. And that's quite interesting to me because Quentin Spain has taken had taken zero snaps in the NFL playing at right guard in his career thus far. And when he came to Buffalo, it was widely known that he was mainly a left-side football player. He played left tackle in college. He moved to left guard after going undrafted out of West Virginia, and that's where he made his hay in Tennessee, and that, that's what he was signed to do for the Bills. But you saw Brian Winters starting at right guard after they moved Cody Ford to left guard. And my, I, I, Cody Ford has been playing amazing football since he moved to that position. And I felt I was, I was quite surprised and impressed with, with Quinton Spain's performance and showing that position versatility to flip to the other side of the offensive line. Because once he got plugged into the game, the, you saw no drop off. And I think that's an aspect of the Bills or the Bills personnel on offense with their offensive line. I think without a doubt, they have one of the deepest offensive lines in football and I, I, I can't give enough credit to Brandon Bean for building that offensive line and to bring in Daryl Williams at two, two and a half million dollars. What? Two and a half million dollars for this guy? You know when, when Daryl Williams signed with the Bills, a lot of people considered him to be a depth signing, considered him to be another one of those players like Spencer Long. I wouldn't uh, Spencer Long's a bad example because he had interior versatility. But Daryl Williams, they considered him to be a versatile football player that could bump, that could play right tackle, right guard, left guard. He has that versatility, and they figured him to be a depth piece to have behind your solid starting five. But I felt more like Daryl Williams was getting signed to have an opportunity to start for this football team because let's not be so quick to forget that Daryl Williams was an all-pro right tackle in 2017. But then, after he suffered an injury in 2018, he was on the shelf. And then K- 
Carolina Panthers drafted left tackle Greg Little, and they already had a tackle that had replaced him at right tackle. I'm sorry, I believe his name's Taylor Moulton. So his spot had been lost, and he really kind of got lost in the shuffle in Carolina. They were forcing him into positions where he wasn't necessarily being utilized to the best of his abilities, putting him, playing him at guard, playing him at left tackle even. No, this dude is a bona fide right tackle. And to be quite honest, if he keeps up with this pace, if he keeps playing to the caliber that he has been, he's going to play himself out of Buffalo's price range. Because at a $2.5 million, my goodness, what a steal. What a job by this coaching staff, or excuse me, what a job done by Brandon Bean in this front office to bring in that the, a, another former Carolina Panther. And he is, I, I'd say he's close to returning to that all-pro form so far this season. And to be quite frank, he's been the most pleasant, I wouldn't even say surprise for me, but amongst Bill's Mafia, I believe he's been the biggest or the best surprise thus far into the season. Yeah, I thought Daryl Williams had a great game on Sunday. I mean, that was the first time I really noticed him. It, it's it sometimes can be hard to notice offensive linemen while you're watching the game. Um, and I really noticed him um, some run plays where I thought that he blocked well. He got out into space well. Um, and you know, I'm a big Mitch Morse guy as well. So I I've been satisfied with offensive line play. Um, I think that they and Allen have worked together very well so far this year. And the thing about the offensive line that I always say is it's not a problem until you start to notice it. And so you start until you start to notice that your quarterback is under pressure all the time. That's when we really start to talk about the offensive line. And that hasn't been a problem for the bills. So they can hope that it, it isn't going forward. And, and keep this in mind, they're down one body. This is without John Feliciano, who started all 16 games last year for the Bills at right guard. So they're, they're, they're supposed to give John Feliciano back relatively soon, I'm assuming. But with how this offensive line is playing, I'm interested to see how they're going to handle that situation with John Feliciano coming back, whether it's going to be his job as soon as he comes back or if there's going to be a three-way competition amongst themselves in practice behind closed doors or what have you between Brian Winters, John Feliciano, and Quentin Spain. And to be quite frank, I, I agree with James Bilek in the comment section. I have not been impressed with Brian Winters. He wasn't impressing me when he was in the game against the Raiders, and he certainly didn't impress me against the Rams where he had an absolutely abysmal performance. I don't care if it's against Aaron Donald. I, it, he didn't look good. He, did, he didn't look like a starting caliber right guard, especially on this Bills offensive line where you have depth up the wazoo. You have plenty of football players. You have plenty of options. You can play at that right guard spot. And simply until John Felicio, or excuse me, John Feliciano comes back, I feel like the best option at the right guard position is Quentin Spain. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, Winters, he isn't a guy who has stood out, like I said, Williams did. Um, and like we said, it only is noticed when it starts to become a problem. Um, but anyways, moving on to the Bills' defense, we came into this game thinking this was a big chance for the Buffalo secondary, especially to prove itself um, after two back-to-back -back down games. Um, secondary looked soft again. They looked soft again. And now this was another week where the Bills defense got virtually no pressure on the quarterback. That needs to change, and it needs to change soon. I mean, the lack of pressure is as much to blame on the poor secondary play as the secondary is itself. You know, you can't allow the quarterback three or four seconds to throw on every play. I don't care who you're playing. They're going to beat you eventually if you do that. So, you know, the uh, I thought it was another lackluster performance from the Bills secondary, virtually no pass rush. However, they forced the turnovers when they needed to, and those two turnovers were invaluable. They were huge momentum killers for the Raiders, and sometimes that's what you got to do to win football games. You know, I, I tend to agree with you with your opinions on the Bills' defense, and I can apply that to the first half. I felt like the first half – 
it fits the it fits the, the description that you gave exactly. They look soft. They look conservative. The defensive line, the, the the pressure was lackluster. I can't even call it lackluster because there was no pressure to speak of in the first half. And I felt like playing a quarterback like Derek Carr, playing a beat up offensive line at that, I feel like that was a kind of the, that that was a kind of an opportunity for this Bills defensive line to kind of get back on track after a poor performance against the Rams. But this was the big thing for the Bills defense this week that I felt. I was really impressed with how they came out in the second half. I, I I felt like the lack of adjustments that they made against the Rams was almost flipped on its head against the Raiders because they certainly made adjustments. You saw them starting to manufacture pressure with, with blitzes. And to be frank, I didn't think that they were going to do that because when you blitz a smart quarterback like Derek Carr, he tends to pick you apart. And that's where you see his efficiency start to bite you and beat you with, 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 with short completions that lead to big gains after yards after catch. And, but but really in that second half, the Bills' defense bunkered down. You saw the the, the, the Raiders drive down the field before half to make this a one-point game, I believe, unless I'm mistaken. And really going, in, going into the second half, the Raiders had all the momentum, all of it. And I thought it was quite impressive by this Bills' defense. I thought it was quite impressive by Leslie Frazier to really kind of get things under wrap. Because at halftime, I, I was saying Sean McDermott needs to take over play-calling duties. Without a doubt, I that was how I felt going into halftime. And Leslie Frazier proved me wrong completely. They look great in the second half, and not to mention Josh Jacobs being held to 15 carries for 48 yards and 3.1 yards per carry. That's an impressive performance for the Bills' defensive line. I felt like Vernon Butler, Ed Oliver, Quentin Jefferson, Harrison Phillips, those four interior defensive linemen, they had one hell of performance. Not 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 necessarily in the in terms of pass rush in the first half. They turned it on in the second half, like I said. But in terms of the run defense, that was consistent all day long. And the longest run, think of it this way: the longest run for Josh Jacobs last week. He had a 16-yard carry. You take that away, he had 32 yards on 15 carries. That's an incredible performance by this Bills defense. And to be quite frank, that was what I was most concerned with going into the Raiders game was seeing the Raiders offense run all over this Bills defense so they can establish play action and then Derek Carr picking you apart while he has all that time to stand back there in the pocket. But that wasn't the case. The Bills bunkered down and they stopped Josh Jacobs. And I I, I was really impressed by the interior defensive lineman's performance in this game, specifically at Oliver on that fourth and one to disengage from an all pro offensive guard like Gabe Jackson like that and stop Josh Jacobs when he has a full head of steam coming into the hole. That was one and that that was a special play from Ed Oliver. I don't I'm not sure if we can really pick plays from Ed Oliver so far in this career. And I, I, I don't I don't recall many where I look at Ed Oliver. And I say this is a special play right here. And to be quite frank, they those kind of plays might get lost because you don't see him on the stat sheet and you see Ed Oliver constantly getting pressure. But I think that was one of the examples where you're going to look on the out back on that play and be like, man, that was one special football play from the former Bills first round pick. Yeah, I like the thought from Backbone 5 in the comments here saying about AJ Epinesa only getting about 10% snap count. Yeah, they draft a defensive end with their first pick in this past year's draft. And you bring him in to be that pass rush presence, be kind of a versatile player off the edge, and you're not really playing him much. Now, maybe he's not ready. Um, you know, the Bills coaching staff knows that better than you and I do. But why not see what he's got if you really haven't had a solution for a pass rush yet? I mean, yeah, if it continues this week, get Epinesa some more snaps. Now, that's assuming that he's comfortable out there and he knows what he's doing. But if you're bringing in that player to play that role and then you don't have him on the field, what can you say? 
they they haven't really utilized AJ Epinesa thus far this season. Obviously, he has one sack, but that was more so on a broken play where he had pursuit and he made a play on the quarterback. But you 10% snap count for for AJ Epinesa. I'm not sure if that's as much of an indictment on AJ Epinesa as a football player as it is a testament to the depth that the Bills have on defense because you saw them plug Daryl Johnson in there for a few skewed plays and he made a play. He pressed the pocket, he pushed the offensive lineman into Derek Carr's face, and ultimately it led to a sack on both occasions. Both of them should have been sack fumbles, but only one of them were. What I, I honestly, what 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 was that call of the, the stoppage of forward progress as Derek Carr laterally tossed the ball while facing the opposite? That 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 was bullshit. That was a garbage call. That 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 was almost as bad as the interception. I know people are going to be biased because that's the one blemish on Josh Allen's season thus far, but that that was a putrid call. Awful. And to, to be quite frank, I, I don't really talk about the referees. I don't really blame referees. I, I may have had a, 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 a spotty pass with referees as a player myself, but I don't like talking about referees. I don't feel like you can blame referees for certain aspects of a football game. I don't believe a referee's decision can ultimately change the, change the complexion of a football game, but sometimes it can't. Sometimes it does. And sometimes when these referees make mistakes like that, it's like, wow, these guys aren't held accountable for their mistakes. They just aren't. And a mistake like that against the Raiders, that was such a bogus call. And you can say the same exact thing about the John Brown should be touchdown. How in the hell is that not a touchdown? You got a whole, you had a whole third of the football over the line of gain, over the, over the goal line. And you still somehow think that's not a touchdown. Like, are we watching the same shit? Really? It's yeah, it is. And I won't be a big heckler about it until it really impacts the game which could happen anytime as we know um but yeah it's it's calls that don't go the bills way and then you have things like the dpi against the rams late in the game that do where you just hope it evens out um but i want to talk about the turnovers more my defensive key for this game for the bills was to force turnovers because we knew that the raiders were susceptible to fumbling the fall that's exactly what they did you know timely turnovers changed the momentum of the game and bailed out the Bills defense when it looked like the Raiders were going to march down the field and get more points. I mean, the Norman punch out was huge. Probably the play of the game, in my opinion, definitely from a defensive side, Josh Norman comes in just absolutely textbook left hand on the football, knocked it out. Vegas is driving down into Buffalo territory in the fourth quarter. They're inside the 40 yard line down by seven points and the Bills get that turnover, just a huge momentum swing. And then they go down, and they score on the ensuing, dri- ensuing drive. And then the second turnover by uh, Jefferson, right? Uh, it just sucked all the life out of the Raiders' comeback. I mean, there were five minutes left about at that point. Raiders are marching down the field. They need two scores. You think, all right, maybe they get that turnover. And then I know the Raiders scored after the fact, but it, they weren't realistically going to to come back, barring they recover the onside kick. So just the, the, moment, just the momentum swung so much with those turnovers. And... I was really happy to see that the bills. Josh Norman. Let's go back to Josh Norman because you talk about what he brings to this football team, what he brings to the defense. And this is the first time that bills fans got to see Josh Norman in a bills uniform because he hurt himself right at the start of training camp, the first padded practice. And he was out throughout all of training camp. And then through the first three games as he got played placed on injured reserve. So, After Levi Wallace goes down with an ankle injury on the third play of this game, Josh Norman's inserted to the starting lineup. He's automatically on the opposite boundary from Tredavious White. And I felt like he had a little bit of a shaky start to the game, but once he got a feel for the game, oh man, Josh Norman got a feel for the game. I 
I love it. I love the attitude. I, I'm not going to call it cockiness. I will never mistake the passion of a football player such as Josh Norman for cockiness because it's not cockiness because Josh Norman approaches the game with the mentality that players should approach the game with, in my opinion. You're talking about a guy who plays with attitude, who plays with that dog mentality. We talk about the Stephon Diggs effect on the offensive side of the ball in regards to the attitude that he brings to the Bills offense. Well, you can apply that directly to Josh Norman as well because that fumble, that was a trickle-down effect through not just the Bills defense but the entire roster. You talk about three plays later, Stephon Diggs mosses a Raiders safety. Josh Allen completes a 49-yard pass, and then two plays later after a Dawson Knox screen – and a Devin Singletary touchdown run, they score. That's what happened. And that changed the entire direction of this football game. Josh Norman plays with the most attitude on that defense. And to be quite frank, that is something that the Bills defense had been missing in these past couple of seasons. That is That, that kind of attitude, that mentality on that side of the ball. I understand you have these guys who are solid football players, great football players, Micah High, Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, what have you. But you never really had that dude that you said, that's a dog. That guy is a dog. That guy has that mentality that he's going to come up, he's going to punch you in the mouth, and after he does, he's going to talk shit right to your face. And that's the kind of thing that Josh Norman brings to that Bills defense that I felt like they didn't have before. But then again, every championship football, not just football team, every championship team in in, in sports history has that guy, has the guy that brings that attitude to the game. And the Bills just so happen to have two of them on opposite sides of the ball. Josh Norman's one of those players where it's the old line from the movie Major League where you say, man, it's crazy how a change of uniform can change your opinion on a guy so much. I mean, when Josh Norman's wearing an opposing team's uniform, he's cocky. When he's wearing a Bills uniform, he has swagger. And he brought that to the field. And I think that him embracing the fact that he's not the all-pro player he once was will help him and will help him find his role in the Bills' defense. Obviously, he's not their top corner. Um, obviously he's playing, you know, more of a lesser role in the Bills secondary, but him embracing that and still bringing that same attitude to the field with him and the veteran presence, he's been around, he's played in both the AFC and the NFC now. And if he can bring that week in, week out and make timely plays like that, it's just invaluable. Cause like you said, you need those guys in the locker room. If you see this Bills defense, if you see after that second half of football from the Bills defense, if that's the turning point that they need, because let's let's call it what it is. Aside from the Jets game, and I'm not I'm not even going to give that much, much substance because the Jets are god awful. <laughs> but ever since that Jets game, this defense really hasn't looked the same. They haven't had the same identity. They haven't had the same aggressiveness as they had in years past. And really, it's come to surprise. But the Bills have made it up with stellar offensive play from Josh Allen and company. But I feel like if this is the turning point. I feel like Josh Norman has a lot to do with that. So let's get into this new segment that we, you and I discussed, studs and duds. Jeff Uvino, who are your studs and duds for this week's game? Well, we're already talking about my first stud is Josh Norman. I he, I think he made the play of the game. Um, in first game as a Bill, you come out, you make a big play like that. And, you know, I don't think he had a tremendous game, you know, watching him in the first half. That long touchdown to Nelson Aguilar might have been his man catching that ball. Um, but he made the big play and um, give it to him for my first stud. Are we doing our – am I telling you both of my studs? Nah, we'll go back and forth. Uh, well, Josh Norman's one of my studs, but I'll just tell you about my second one because I, I think my, my little rant about Josh Norman covered it. But my second one, Harrison Phillips. Harrison Phillips, to be quite 
the entire interior defensive line room did not have a good game against the Rams. They didn't. And I feel like Eric Washington, the Bills defensive line coach, posed a challenge to those defensive tackles. And they put Harrison Phillips into the starting lineup. The, the previous three games, you saw Ed Oliver and Je Quentin Jefferson in there. And I feel like that kind of led to some mismatches up front along the interior. Didn't quite have that size in there that you would like to have. Keep in mind, Quentin Jefferson was signed to play a, a, a three tech, be a three-technique defensive tackle in a hybrid five-technique and run situation. So he is not meant to be playing that one-technique position. Neither is Ed Oliver. But, but Harrison Phillips gets plugged into the starting lineup this game. He made a difference right from the start. The very first drive, the, the, the Raiders are starting to drive, and they're near midfield. It's third and one, and this is where they run that fullback dive. And I saw Harrison Phillips three yards in the Raiders' backfield, and that fullback had nowhere to go because when you have a defensive lineman pushing an offensive lineman into the backfield like that, of course it's going to open up the whole field for those linebackers to make a play. And the Bills' troops rallied, and they made the stop on third down. But that wasn't the only play Harrison Phillips made in that football game. He played an incredible football game against the Oakland – or excuse me, whoa, the Las Vegas Raiders. And I felt like, to be quite honest, I felt like not only was it his best performance thus this season, but I feel like it's one of Harrison Phillips' best performance – best performances in his young career. So my two studs, Josh Norman and Harrison Phillips. Jeff, who's your second stud? My second stud is Stefan Diggs. I mean, that's the best word to describe Stefan Diggs over the first four weeks of the season. He's been a stud. Six catches, 115 yards, the big highlight real play, making the, the catch over the receiver on the 49-yard reception from Allen. And we just can't talk about him enough, how well he's played and just how dynamic he's been, no matter who's covering him, no matter what defenses throw at him. it's it, It's been great. It's been great so far with Diggs, and he gets my nod for my second stud this week. First dud. My first dud, without a doubt, A.J. Klein. What is this guy doing? What is he doing? The Bills could not run three linebacker looks against the Raiders. I mean, they could have with Terrell Dotson. I would have 110% preferred Terrell Dotson. I felt like he earned that opportunity. He earned that spot after his play in Miami. But I felt like this was an example of the uh, of the Bills, of Sean McDermott giving one of, quote-unquote, his guys, A.J. Klein, every opportunity to fail in the position that he was playing. And fail he did. Fail he did. He looked like absolute garbage against against the Raiders absolute garbage and D Derek Carr was picking out on time after time he let up a touchdown to Jason Witten in 2020 what in the blue hell was going on with AJ Klein because but I, I don't know I don't know he looked he looked like he had concrete slabs tied to his cleats it was awful AJ Klein what he provides in the run defense I don't feel like you get a drop off from from Terrell Dotson in that facet because you look at A.J. Klein, he's about 250, 260 pounds. He is not a modern NFL linebacker. Not by any stretch of the imagination is A.J. Klein a modern NFL linebacker. I feel like he was brought on this team more so for special teams and leadership purposes, if you will. But his defensive role needs to be reduced after this game. And I feel like after you saw Matt Milano leave the game late with a pectoral injury, which he is week to week with right now, and there's a potential that he misses the upcoming game with the Tennessee Titans, I you saw Terrell Dotson get plugged in for Matt Milano in favor for AJ Klein. So and that was in the late stages of the fourth quarter. So it was obvious to me that this coaching staff was giving AJ Klein an opportunity to prove himself. My goodness, he did not prove himself. He proved how bad he was. He looked just 
he looked worse than he did against, against Miami when he had that starting role when those two linebackers were out. So without a doubt, A.J. Klein, he's the dud. He's one of my duds of the week. Yeah, it hasn't lived up to expectations, whatever those expectations were uh, so far in 2020. My first dud is the Bills pass rush. I already talked about it tonight. It's been non-existent so far this season. Needs to be better. I don't have a solution. I hope Leslie Frazier does. Pass rush needs to be better going forward if you're going to slow down some of these opposing passing offenses. Second dud. NFL officiating. NFL officiating. This was the lead referee of this game. It was his first season as an NFL referee, and my goodness, did it show. It showed. It really did. I hate talking about refs. I hate placing anything on refs, but since the Bills didn't lose this game, I can talk shit about how, however much I want about these refs because they were absolutely awful, and it went both ways. Really, that touchdown, uh, like I said earlier, that was an abysmal call. The, the, the should have been strip sack. What are you watching? I really don't know. You blow. Why are these referees blowing the play dead when the quarterback has yet to have a knee hit the ground when he's getting sacked? It was as soon as Derek Carr was touched, they're blowing the play dead. I don't know. You watch back the play. They didn't even blow the play dead. Blow the play dead. There was no whistle because watching the game, watching it live, I thought it was a strip sack fumble. I saw Matt Milano come up with the ball. It, it looked like a strip sack. I watched the replay. It was a strip sack. It wasn't necessarily a strip sack. Derek Carr just tossed the ball to his side like a, the, the most unaware football player in the universe. I don't know who he was tossing, tossing it to, guard. But either way, that's a fumble. That's a fumble. That's the definition of a fumble right there. And NFL officiating, it's not just the Bills. It's not just the Raiders. It's not just this game. It is every single game this season that I'm watching. Referees, goodness. I Can it ever get better? Can it ever get better? When do these refs finally have a season where we're like, wow, they, you know, they're really calling a great game. They're letting them play or they're, they're calling it the same way. Don't tell me if that exact play happens in another football game, that that's not rule of fumble. That's not rule of fumble. If Josh Allen dropped that ball in that manner, that's a fumble 110%. So I'm really confused as to what these refs are watching. Really? I maybe, maybe they're sitting on their phones through the game and they're just going off of what they see on replay and just like, Oh, well call on the field. And, I, the, the one McDermott challenge when McDermott challenged that touchdown should have been reversed, should have been reversed 110%. Second dot of the week, NFL officiating. Yeah, I agree on the John Brown play on the goal line. It looked like the ball had broken the plane when he had possession of it. It's an inexplicable ruling, but those aren't our decisions to make. Unfortunately, my second dud little bit of nitpicking here. Um, you know, I, I, there wasn't really too much that I didn't like from this game other than the lack of pass rush in the soft secondary. So my second dud is the man who missed another extra point, Tyler Bass. Now, I'm not too concerned about Bass, really. I'm not really concerned about the Bills kicking game. But if the missed PATs become a trend, it's something that could come back to bite you in the ass, and that's just not something you want to have to worry about for your football team. So Tyler Bass, make your extra points, and maybe you could be a stud for me. <laughs> Thank goodness he could tackle better than he can kick. Jeez. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. It, that was Corey Bohorquez's fault, I felt like. Lice is out. But still, it's an extra point. Make the kick. Well, with that, I felt like it was an overall good performance for the Bills. You saw the second half defensive. You saw a lot of resiliency from the Bills defense in the second half, and the Bills offense continues to hum. They continue to make plays. They continue to use this trio of wide receivers, and Josh Allen continues to play at an MVP pace. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens this week against the Tennessee Titans. And 
before we can even get into talking about analytics, before we can even analyze this matchup of who, who, what matchups, what, where, where, where this team's strengths are and whatnot, let's look at this. These are the players that could potentially miss this game. And when I say potentially, I mean in all and most likely will miss this game against the Bills due to COVID. The obvious COVID outbreak for the Tennessee Titans, it's really just ravaged. It really has. And you look at the players that they're missing, they're not missing a ton of huge name players. But right off the bat, Jeffrey Simmons. Jeffrey Simmons, that's the name that sticks out to me because Jeffrey Simmons is one of the best interior defensive linemen in football since he came into the NFL after go, after going through the draft process with a torn ACL and not being able to play the first half of his rookie season. Jeffrey Simmons is, without a doubt, in my opinion, the best player on that Titans defense and most certainly the best player in the Titans front seven. And without Jeffrey Simmons in this game, you're talking about this Titans defense that allows on average 166 rushing yards per game, missing their two top defensive linemen because they're also missing Daquan Jones. They're missing their two top defensive linemen, and they were already allowing 166 rushing yards per game. My goodness, is this an opportunity for the Bills offense this week? Yeah, it's going to be an uphill climb for the Titans defense. You know, you're already going up against what has been one of the most efficient, one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL. And now you're down some of your top players, including one of your big run stoppers in the middle. Now, do I feel bad for the Titans that they're going to be missing some of their guys? Not at all. It's your own fault. This is your punishment. Deal with it. I hope the Bills score 40 points on them. The Titans being down this week, a couple guys, it's going to make things so much harder. You're going to have guys playing on the defensive side of the ball and likely both sides of the ball for Tennessee that aren't used to getting snaps in those places. And so um, assuming that the they do play on Sunday, which we really, fingers crossed, that they will, us recording this Tuesday night, if you're listening on the pod afterwards, we don't have a ton of information right now. We know that today was the second day in a row where Tennessee had all negative um, tests, which is a good sign. Mike Vrabel said that their facilities might be able to open tomorrow. So remaining hopeful for that, but you've just really got a bunch of potential holes. And now we don't obviously don't know whether those guys are going to play, but it's really got to be damage control if you're Tennessee, because the bills can hurt you in so many ways, even when you're at full strength. What's with the Titans and the bills really? Because last year when they played, they didn't have the starting quarterback that they were starting at the end of the season that they made their AFC championship run with. Their kicker missed four field goals, and if he had made, if he had made, I believe what two or three of them, they would have beaten the Bills. So, what is it with the luck of the Tennessee Titans when the Bills come to town? Because now you have a COVID outbreak. You're missing your top two defensive linemen. You're missing your slot receiver, who, in my opinion, would have had the best matchup of the week going up against that Bills defense. And Teron Johnson, who has looked absolutely putrid through the first month of the season. So. I don't know what it is. It's some weird voodoo between the Titans and the Bills. And like, like, like you kind of touched on, Jeff, this is entirely the Titans' fault. Because when you look at uh, – obviously, there's a human beings. I hope that they get healthy. I hope their families are safe. I hope they're safe. And I hope that they get on the other side of this with, with their well-being. I really do. But the leadership in place, I feel like they're 110%. They need to be held accountable for the mistakes that went on through the organization. You look at the contact tracing, you look at the things that these teams need to follow, the protocols that are in place by the NFL that the NFL PA agreed upon. They obviously were not following the procedures that, 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 that were in place. And that is what ultimately led to a COVID outbreak for the Titans organization. And it's it, it, it you hate to see it. It's very unsettling. But 
honestly, I feel like if, if there's accountability, if they need to be held accountable and there were mistakes made, they need to be held accountable and they need to face the, the appropriate consequences for those mistakes. If they, if this this could really be the league that 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 the NFL could set an example with the Tennessee Titans and how they choose to discipline them. We don't know what's going on. The investigation is ongoing. Mike Vrabel kind of touched on it today. He gave really coach speak. He didn't really let in any detail as to what the status is with their players. And really, there's nothing out there in regards to who's asymptomatic, who's not. And to be quite honest, he kind of gave a very broad answer. And it really sounded like all these players listed on, on that list that they're going to miss this game against the Bills. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a huge blow to this Titans team that, quite frankly, going into this game, I was nervous going up against the Titans with all the pieces they have they have on defense, with the, the, their weapons on the offensive side of the ball. But now, looking at that, that defense is not the same without without Jeffrey Simmons and Daquan Jones on the, a part of that defensive line. It just isn't the same. And then you're also missing Christian Fulton in the secondary. Adoree Jackson is still hurt. And Jonathan Josephs looked good, but you're missing some key components to that defense that – have played a part in why they are three and zero and why they they're undefeated to this point. So I think this is definitely an opportunity for the Bills. I uh, I hate to see it come at the cost of people, human beings catching catching this virus. But at the end of the day, I believe it was due to the lack of leadership and the lack of the lack of responsibility from from the, the Titans leadership, Mike Vrabel and those that are in charge over there in Tennessee. I feel like it's largely due to that because you look at a team like the Raiders. And John Gruden, he gets fined for not wearing his mask. And then two weeks later, here you are with a bunch of football players going to a charity event without wearing masks and and breaking all sorts of rules and whatnot. And just an entire, I wouldn't say it's a lack of care because they were at a charity event for Christ's sakes, but still leadership matters in football, whether these guys are grown ass men or whether they're kids in high school, leadership matters. And not just football, all sports. And I feel like any kind of, of, shy away from protocol, shy away from procedures that are in place. I feel like that's directly on the leadership in place and whatever organization breaks that rules. Yeah. And obviously we want everybody to be safe and healthy, but these are self-inflicted wounds for the Titans and going forward, it's just something you have to deal with. Very happy that hasn't happened to the bills and you know, you don't want to be the one team that ruins it for everybody. Um, And so the reality of it for Tennessee is you're down a few players this week. You got to adjust accordingly. They've got guys that can come in and play snaps. That's what your reserves are for. Um, and they're going to have a go at it. So my thing I want to see out of the Bills offense this week is keep doing it with the passing game. You and I have said in the last few weeks, and for good reason, we want the Bills to establish their run game to make the offense multidimensional. Coming this week, I'm changing my tone. I'm changing my tone going into week five because if you're going to throw the ball for 300 yards and score 30 points every week, how about keep doing that? It's the age-old cliche, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the, that's what the Bills, the identity of the Bills offense has been so far this year as you're throwing the ball all over. And so, yeah, I'd love to see you run against a banged-up uh, Titans defensive front. I'd love to see you get Devin Singletary over a hundred yards and establish that run game, control the tempo of the game, but why not just throw the ball downfield with Josh Allen? If that's what you, if that's what your identity has been. And so for me, I'm changing my tone. I no longer am going to say establish the run game early, get a rushing touchdown early in the game and set the tempo. So you can set up your play actions and your counters and your passing offense. No, go out there and throw the ball down the field until somebody in the NFL stops you because 
I don't know who has an answer to Josh Allen right now out there. I don't know if there is anybody who does have an answer to Josh Allen, but if they do, the Bills haven't find, found them yet, and I don't think they're going to find them in Nashville this weekend. It's going to be – it's definitely an intriguing matchup for the Bills' offense, I feel like, because with those two defensive linemen missing, you touched on how you don't feel like that – you feel like the Bills need to spread this team out. And I saw at the top of the at the top of the show, somebody commented that the Bills could easily hang 350 passing yards on this defense. I'll find it in a second. Just give me a moment. But I tend to agree with that. This is really, I feel very similarly to the, going into this game than I did last week. That the Bills offense can attack this defense however they choose to. Whatever they feel is the best to give this team an opportunity to win, they can do that. If they want to run the ball 20 times this game with Devin Singletary, I feel like that's a winning recipe. If they want to air it out with Josh Allen. 35 times a game this game or 35 times in this game I feel like that's a winning recipe you look at the personnel they have on offense and I, I I've said this multiple times now the personnel they have on offense allows them to be multi-dimensional allows them to be multifaceted I feel like honestly the 65 35 mix that you've seen from the bills thus far this season in the run or pass versus run that is I feel like that part of that is them trying to preserve obviously Zach Moss has missed I believe what the last two games with with his turf toe injury but I believe part of that is them attempting to reserve their young running backs for the latter half of the season when it's time to make that playoff push because you don't want to wear these guys down to the point where they can't play. You need to be prepared to play 19 games this season. I I, I don't care what anybody says. You need to be, be prepared 20 games this season. If you have to play wild card weekend, I don't anticipate that. But you need to be prepared to play 20 games this season. And, hey, if you aren't running the football here to start the season and that's not really your bread and butter now and you work into it in the latter half or the latter portion of the season, I feel like that will benefit the Bills not only now but then as well. So really, I'm looking forward to this game. I tend to agree with you. Josh Allen could definitely stretch out this defense. They're missing pieces in that secondary. I love the safety tandem they have with Kevin Byard and Kenny Vaccaro, but really that secondary hasn't been the same this season. There's really all of two good defenses in the NFL right now, and the Titans aren't one of them. They really aren't. So am I scared of that Titans defense as much as I would have been in the past as they're a historically good defensive football team? And whenever the Bills play the Titans, you see those 13-10 matchups, those 13-9 matchups, where it's a tight, low-scoring defensive football game. I don't feel like you're necessarily going to see that, or at least not for the Bills offense in this game. I feel like you're going to see a lot of points, a lot of passing, and Josh Allen potentially having his his – fourth and fifth his fourth 300 yard game through the first five games of the season and with the buffalo run game it's not just about conserving your run your young running backs it's about conserving some packages that you might need to pull out later in the year like i said if you're beating teams by gunslinging it and spreading the ball all around the field then why go to something that you don't need to pull out yet save that for when you need it later in the year maybe if you're getting shut down in the passing game that's what you can get more creative with your offensive play calling on the ground and so until, like I said, until somebody shows that they're going to slow down Josh Allen and they're going to slow down this passing attack, if they're going to slow down Stefan Diggs, then you go to the ground more. But until then, there's no reason to. Travis Blakesley on Facebook says, true, but Tannehill is ass versus the Bills. And I think that is a perfect opportunity for us to talk about the Titans quarterback. Jeff, I want, I want, to, I want to start this conversation with this question. Are you scared of Ryan Tannehill as a thrower, as a quarterback? Are, are you nervous leading into this matchup? I am not scared of him as a thrower. I'm not scared of him as a playmaker. However, 
I think he can do some really good things as far as managing the game. And now, you know, game manager or maybe efficient, uh, efficient guy who doesn't have the playmaking ability of Josh Allen are two words to describe two terms to describe quarterbacks that may not have that explosive ability that an Allen or a Rogers or a Mahomes has, but they're still solid quarterbacks. And I think that Tannehill has found himself a nice little niche in this offense. He makes plays. Um, he does enough to win football games and, I, I don't think afraid is the right word, but I think that he has some potential to carve up a Bills secondary that's looked really soft, especially if you're not getting pressure in his face. If the Bills pass rush is what it has been this year, Tannehill is going to thrive as is any NFL starting quarterback. That's why the pass rush is so important. You know, I I tend to feel like the Bills defense go into this game with a slight advantage. Not because they've been lighting teams up and just they, they've been the stellar defense that we've seen in years past. Not because necessarily their solid second half against the Raiders, but more so because this is the third week in a row you're playing a fairly similar quarterback and a fairly similar ideology on the offensive side of the ball in the opposing team. Because the, 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 the motor that makes this offense run is obviously Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is some, the, the Titans are similar to the Raiders in that. This offense starts and ends with Derrick Henry, I feel like. If you let Derrick Henry get going early, if you let the, Ryan Tannehill in this offense establish the running game and open up play action, that's where you really see the playmakers for this Titans offense start to go off. A.J. Brown is expected to be back this week after missing multiple games with a knee injury. Uh, Adam Humphreys is obviously out of this game, but they have Corey Davis, who was the sixth overall pick a handful of years ago. You have John U. Smith, who is an elite. I wouldn't say elite, but he is definitely – one of the best athletes at the tight end position in the league. And they really do have weapons for this, for Ryan Tannehill. And I felt like when Marcus Mariota was replaced with Ryan Tannehill, it really wouldn't have taken much for Marcus Mariota to keep his job. If Marcus Mariota simply didn't just piss down his leg every single week and couldn't pass the ball beyond the first down marker, I, he, he likely could have kept his starting job. But you plug in a player like Ryan Tannehill – who's not a world beater, but he's not the worst quarterback in the league. And like we keep saying, an efficient game-managing quarterback. I feel like that's more along the lines of what Ryan Tannehill is. In the same conversation with the Jared Goffs, with the Derek Cars, he is in that category of quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's not a bad thing, but you have, you have um, things that defenses can take advantage of. I feel like if the Bills can bottle up Derrick Henry early and often in this football game, similar, similar to how they bottled up um, Josh Jacobs last week for 3.1 yards per carry. If they can stay consistent with the run defense, if the defensive line, if the interior defensive line can manage to have the gap integrity that they had last week, you're going to see a similar game that you saw against the Raiders last week, I feel like. And you're exactly right, and that is why my defensive key for the Bills is do the exact same thing you did last week in limiting the rushing game. I mean, they allowed 48 yards to Josh Jacobs, who is a damn good running back, running behind a good offensive line. Do the same this week. Harrison Phillips, Ed Oliver, guys like that, prove yourself, stuff the run. And if you control the run game, I don't think you'll have many problems on defense, or I don't think that you're going to have any trouble limiting the Titans compared to the points of your offense we know can put up with every week. Um, and so that's really the key on defense. Make them one-dimensional. Make Tannehill beat you while simultaneously getting pressure on him, of course. Yeah, I feel like if you get pressure in Tannehill's face, you're fighting a winning battle at that point. But really, my key to victory on the defensive side of the ball is the, whoever is matched up 
with John U. Smith. Because like I said, it's expected that Matt Milano is going to miss this game. And Matt Milano has typically been the tight end eraser for this Bills defense. And he has done an incredible job no matter who it is that he matches up against. And I wouldn't be surprised if he misses this game so that the Bills have him at their disposal against the Kansas City Chief on, or excuse me, the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday night football the following week. But Johnny Smith, like I said, he is an incredible athlete. He, he is dynamic. He's fast. He runs sharp routes. He's explosive. He's agile. You saw uh, last year, I think Bills fans got a taste when he, got, when he took a tight end screen for 54 yards into the Bills red zone. So John U. Smith is definitely a playmaker. He's a sneaky playmaker for this Titans offense. And I feel so, I feel now more so than I did before with Adam Humphreys out of this game. He could really be the X factor for that Titans offense. And I'm interested to see who they're going to match up with him, whether it be Tremaine Edmonds or whether it be Terrell Dotson. I feel like if you can try and contain, if you not only stop the rushing attack, but also contain the Titans athletic tight end, I feel like this defense is going to have some synergy, going to have some aggression, and going to have things going their way if they can ha- manage to have those two things line up for them. And if it is Tremaine Edmonds has got the primary coverage on Jonu Smith, that's going to be a big test for him. I've said so far this season, I don't think Edmonds has played particularly well. I understand that he uh, is coming back from an injury, um, and obviously he's still so young, but if he's going to be your big plugger in the middle of that defense, he's got to make tackles, and he's got to do it in the pass coverage as well, especially when Matt Milano, who I think is inarguably your best you know, pass-covering linebacker, if he's out, Edmonds has to step up and be big in that role. It's a test for him, and I'm sure I'll have decisive words to say about it next week. It's a test for Tremaine Edmonds as it is for Tredavious White because AJ Brown he's going to be he's going to be he's going to be hungry this week he's going to be looking for the football make no mistake about it AJ Brown is a dynamic playmaker he's one of the best wide receivers in the league I feel like and if he were playing in the first three weeks of the season you, you you'd recall it much sooner because last year this guy went off for the Tennessee Titans he's their best wide receiver by far a steal in the second round for that for that for that Titans organization and. He's coming back this week, and Tredavious White hasn't looked all particularly all that good this season either. So, as it, it's a test for Jermaine Edmonds if he were to match up against John U. Smith, I mean, I, I believe it's a test for Jermaine Edmonds this week, regardless. But as you have to stop um, Derrick Henry in the rushing attack as well. So, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Tremaine, how the, the Bills choose to attack Ryan Tannehill, how they choose to attack Derrick Henry, and look to bottle up that run game and stop this Titans offense before it even has a chance to get going. Well, shall we pick the game then? Shall we pick the game? Jeff, before we start picking, I have to clarify with the listeners, we broke even last week, so you still have an eight-point lead in our picks. You are up 20 to 12. Oh, I can't catch a break. You and I were really close on some on some games last week. Neither of us picked any scores correctly for any of the teams, but we picked every single game correctly. So we both came out of last week with four points, 20 to 12. Jeff, who do you have winning this Bills matchup as they visit the Tennessee Titans? I think it's going to be more of the same from the Bills offense. They throw the ball down the field enough and then damage control on your defense. I mean, I don't I can't say that they're going to slow down Derrick Henry and the Titans offense, but I think that the Bills defense can do enough this week, whether it's by making big plays, um, not letting Tennessee sustain drives to allow Josh Allen to manage the game, get in the end zone four times and the Bills win the game 28 to 20. 28 20. Okay. All right. I'm feeling similar to you. Honestly, I was going to predict a really tight, low scoring matchup for this game, regardless of, of the Titans coming into this game with 
of, of poor, poor defensive performances throughout the first three games of the season. But with them missing Jeffrey Simmons, with them missing Christian Fulton, with them missing um, Daquan Jones, that defense just isn't the same. Whether they have Jadavian Clowney and Harold Landry coming off the edge and they still have Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans in the middle, you the, the game, every single football game, is won and lost at the line of scrimmage. And whether that be your defensive line practically being incapable of getting pressure, and I don't expect much interior pressure on Josh Allen this week at all, or whether that be the defensive line just simply not being able to hold their ground in the rushing game and your linebackers just getting eaten up by blockers, you win and lose at the line of scrimmage. And I, 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 looking at this Titans defensive line, it's a huge mismatch. It's a huge mismatch for this Bills offensive line in favor of the Bills offensive line. And that being said, just knowing what I know about football, I don't expect this to be close. I expect a very similar game to that we saw last week against the Raiders. I don't think that this Titans offense is going to have many many answers for that Bills defense. I think the Bills defense is going to come out there fired up. They're going to try and continue the solid performance that they had in the second half against the Raiders last week. They're going to try and bottle up Derrick Henry at the line of scrimmage and, and really get in Tannehill's face and force him to try and stretch the field on them, So similar to how they did with Derek Carr. And that's when you saw the turnovers begin. And it was with fumbles, but it was also a part of it getting pressure. It was a part of the Bills' defense just playing an overall aggressive game in the second half. So I'm expecting this not to be close, really. I'm expecting the Bills to win this game 34-24, and they improve to 5-1 and one going into their Thursday night matchup against the Chiefs. Now, before we get out of here, we have three more games to predict. All the games throughout the division, the AFC East. The 49ers are visiting the Miami Dolphins this week. Jeff, who you got? I think it's another game where Miami keeps it close, but they're just not good enough to win. Uh, I got the Niners 28, the Dolphins 24 in a similar contest that Buffalo played against Miami. I have the 49ers coming out of Miami with a convincing 31 to 20 victory. Now Cardinals visiting the New York Jets. Jeff, how are you feeling? Another game where I th think it's going to be closer than people expect. The Cardinals have had some slip-ups the last couple of weeks, so maybe the logical thing would be for them to rebound from that against the laughing stock of the league and the New York Jets, but I think the Jets keep it close. Cardinals 27, Jets 19. I don't have this one being close. That Cardinals offense has been stifled the last two games and have looked a little rough. And that Jets defense, they're I, ooh, ooh, ugly ugly and this one's going to be ugly as well i got the cardinals getting a revenge game not necessarily against the jets they don't have anything against the jets but kyler murray deandre hopkins kenyon drake and company they all have something to prove and they're playing the worst team in football i have the cardinals blowing out the jets in new york 47 13 now denver visiting new england who you got i've got new england of course the jets game is going to be closer than you think that's going to be <laughs> i'm telling you it's going to be um in, in this one, New England comes out, rebounds after the loss. They never lose twice in a row. I don't care who their quarterback is. I mean, when's the last time they, they lost twice in a row? Um, Patriots come out, score 30 points, just one of those games where no one's really paying attention to it, and they win like they should. Patriots 30, Broncos 14. I also have the Patriots coming out of this game. Can we pick opposite teams for once, please? I think I think we might start that trend. Can now. the AFC East teams play not the worst teams in the world? Can they not be? I mean, we're we're picking the Jets and the Dolphins every week. Like, come on. Yeah, 
You're right. And, and that's, I mean, that's to no fault of our own because we're picking the Bills division teams. I mean, and the Patriots just last week, they played the Chiefs. Like we weren't picking against the Chiefs. And this week they're playing the Broncos. We're not picking the Broncos. Right. And uh, Cam Newton, he might miss this football game. But like you said, the Patriots don't lose two games in a row. Regardless if Tom Brady's their quarterback, regardless if Brian Hoyer's their quarterback. And maybe I shouldn't say that name because he looked like he shouldn't have a job in the National Football League and he should be coaching some eighth grade science class somewhere. But regardless, I have the Patriots coming out on top. Denver, they're they're playing with a third string quarterback. They're not playing the Jets defense this week. They're not going to score a lot of points. I'm going with the Patriots winning this one 23 to 7. So. It's going to be an interesting week. Huge week for the Bills. I don't necessarily think it's a huge week for the AFC East as the Bills have a two-game lead over the New England Patriots. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. The Bills have a two-game lead over the New England Patriots. When was the last time we were able to say that in our existence, Jeff? Not our existence. Hopefully, hope Definitely some of our listeners' existence, hopefully, but not our fledgling existences. Um, Really just hoping the Bills can get on the field this week. That's a win in itself. You know, I mean – best the bills have looked in forever and to have to wait two weeks now to watch them play on a week that wasn't even supposed to be here by a week would really suck so you know just hoping that they can get on the field this week that would be a win in itself so let's hope for more negative tests from the titans and then can get down to nashville and put a shellacking on them absolutely now thank you to everyone that was commenting throughout the duration of the show thank you all for watching and tuning in live before we get out of here jeff uvino please tell the people where they can find you you can find me on Twitter at RealJUVino. It's U-V-E-I-N-O, my last name. You can find me on Instagram at my name, Jeff Uvino. And Clayton, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at CFR Clayton. You can also find me on Instagram at that same exact handle, at C-F-R-C-L-A-Y-T-O-N. And do not forget to follow the Cold Front Report on all social media platforms on Twitter. That's at Cold Front Report on Instagram. It's at Cold Front Report underscore Bills News. And on Facebook, it's Cold Front Report colon Buffalo Bills News. And while you're on Facebook liking the liking the Cold Front Report Facebook page, take, take, take the time to go over to the Overtime Podcast Facebook page and drop us a like there as well. So we'll be having our content, having our, having our clips coming out for the podcast, for the live show. Thank you all for tuning in. it's going to be one hell of a week, Jeff, leading up to the Kansas city chiefs. It's going to be an important week for the Buffalo bills as they take on an AFC opponent that likely could be in the dance there at the end of the season. But with that from Jeff Uvino, I'm Clayton Garrett. Thank you all for tuning in. And this has been the overtime podcast presented by the cold front.